Welcome everyone to this series of podcasts outlining Keller's articles on the state of the church. I'm Tim Filston and I'll be leading you through hoping to make these ideas, his, his big ideas, even more accessible. In this series of articles, Tim Keller diagnoses the decline of the American church, but he also offers prescriptions. And that's rare. Many authors name problems, they wring their hands and point to some distant tree on the hill where we all should go but not many give real directions about how to get there. Often when I'm reading and an author makes some assertion about the way things ought to be, I write in the margin, yes, but how, Y-B-H, yes, but how. Keller has done his thinking within the context of community building, within the church, not just in the ivory tower. That means he does not just offer paper solutions. But getting to the solution first requires that we understand the problem in context. And this is going to be a challenge, okay? So the three different lenses we're going to be looking through to understand the problem in context. Historical context, theological context, and cultural context. These are the three influences that lead us to our current state. So in these podcasts, I'm going to outline each of these four articles one at a time And through each one, I'm going to give you the outline of his train of thought and keep reminding you of it because he covers a lot of ground. So my goal is to give you a leg up in reading the articles with a simple, short summary of each one. Let's get started. In this first article, Keller focuses on the history that brought us to this cultural moment of division and decline. You can feel that, can't you? I mean, everybody knows we're pretty crossed up. And boy, it's the topic of conversation constantly. What Our division and uh, everything is sort of read through that lens of division. But he, he focuses on the history that brought us here. Uh, his focus is on the mainline church because they had quite a steep incline and decline with very little recline between them. Their, their ascent looks like a hockey stick during the first half of the 20th century, like a hockey stick, straight up. And then they leap off the high dive during the latter half. The lessons we can learn come from looking through these three different lenses, which we'll take one at a time, a social or sociological lens, a theological lens, and a cultural lens. So he's... He's shaping important categories. You see, those are the categories, sociological, theological, cultural, for thinking through why the mainline church declined so rapidly. By categories, I mean, again, different lenses that clarify the church and the country's history. A sociological lens helps us see the common assumptions that shape priorities. A theological lens focuses on doctrinal changes that shifted the church's priorities. And finally, a cultural lens sharpens our eyes to see the trends that pressure the church's priorities. All about the church's priorities. So Keller appeals to key thinkers in each of these areas. So by the end here, I think you'll see from these three angles, these three lenses, why the mainline church, which dominates the church after World War II, why it lost millions of members since then. Think about it. If you go to any downtown area across America, you're going to see right at the center the oldest buildings built by the people who build the town, and that is the mainline churches. 
Presbyterians, Episcopals, Methodists, Catholics. So let's look at these three lenses one at a time that show us the symptoms of a church in decline and also the underlying condition. First, the sociological lens. It was evident in the late 1960s that the mainline church was in decline. Dean Kelly's book, Why Conservative Churches Are Growing, conservative churches, he's talking about, why they're growing, that confronted the central issue. Mainline churches had disconnected from their main thing. Here's what happened. In an effort to remain intellectually credible during a secular movement, mainline leaders assumed they needed to abandon their doctrine that tied the church to the supernatural, to the transcendent. They wanted the social conscience part of loving one's neighbor, but they disconnected from the spiritual transcendent basis for doing so. In an effort to keep the church relevant, they let go of what motivated the very social justice efforts they adopted. It ended up skewing them left, aligning with left-wing politics. Again, thinking that's where the culture was headed, so they kind of ran around to the front. It's kind of like, you know, you see a big group of people, and like a flock of birds, they shift in one direction, and this is what mainline church leaders did. They, they sort of said, hey, they're going that way, so I'm going to run around to the front. And Kelly's book was a bombshell, though. It blew up that assumption, showing how conservative churches were on the rise. But under these social pressures are more foundational beliefs. So let's take a shift here. We're going to move to the theological lens that shows what happens. J. Gresham Machen was at Princeton in 1923 when he wrote a scathing critique of mainline churches. He documented how the worldview of seminaries like his, Princeton, and churches was shifting to naturalism. It's hard to believe that. I mean, here you're talking about, we're talking about the church that looks, that's looking at the revelation of God, but now they're abandoning all of that for naturalism, that everything has a natural cause, that only the measurable is real. Machen shows how this shift resulted in the loss of everything that distinguished Christianity as Christianity. So rather than just a general religious moralism, these foundational truths, these, these doctrines, these um, revelation of God through Scripture, distinguished Christianity, they abandoned all that. Mainline leaders lost the basis of their morality, the object of their faith, and the foundation of a common authority that shaped morality. As a result, mainline churches lost their first love. Or first things. First things like eternal hope were set aside as churches focused on second things like political activism. Uh, philosopher Charles Taylor from Canada, he calls this focus the imminent frame. Imminent frame. You know what imminent means. It's just the, the things that are right in front of us that you can see and feel and touch, measure. Kant, another philosopher, coined it this way. He said, we need to have religion within the bounds of reason. In other words, the church let go of transcendence and focused on imminence. They lost an eternal framework around their approach to current events. So that's what happened there. That's the theological lens and the shift that took place. Third, 
is the cultural lens. Let's look at both academics and pop culture. Okay, so the cultural pressures on the church from both the ivory tower and you know Main Street retail pressures. Quoting George Marsden's book, The Twilight of the American Enlightenment, that's written by, again, by George Marsden. Tim Keller explains how churches and spirituality turned inward. This is the big deal. An inward turn for identity. You know, you, you can sort of hear Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all is happening to me. You know, love of self, inward. Rather than being defined by relationships and roles and shared values, personal autonomy became the driving force of American mainline spirituality. We entered an age of individualism. Now see, it was Freud who steered people away from accountability, away from a common moral code. The authentic self, in his view, was self-determined, a bootstraps view. This inward journey, the therapeutic self, made denial and optimism the central tenets of the faith. I mean, they, they, of course they wouldn't say that, but that's, that's, a, that's what they defaulted to, denial and optimism. Since then, universities have been trying to reconstruct some kind of common public basis for morality, for a shared moral code. And, you know, we've sort of enjoyed a a couple of generations of Judeo-Christian momentum, but that's going away. Because they had blown up the foundation on which any mutual agreement could you know, continue to, to give us some common ground for, um, for a common project. What had shaped the church over centuries was lost. They had no sense of what might replace it at the academic level or in in popular culture. The result of this moral relativism is the fragmentation we see today. But don't mistake relativism for pluralism. I, I hope I'm not losing you here. You gotta, you gotta bear down with me here on this uh, just a second. Relativism and pluralism are different. Two different things. Pluralism is really a worthy goal for a democracy. Think of it as a level playing field where everyone has a, or you know, just the idea of where everyone has a seat at the table. That's pluralism. But instead, what we have is a toxic relativism. Just everybody crossed up uh, with different basis, bases for their, their thinking. But there's a bias. See, relativism is a problem because there's a bias against faith-based views. Everyone believes something. Everyone believes something. But if your beliefs are grounded in God today, then the public trend has been to keep those kinds of beliefs private. Other, other beliefs can enter the public square as long as they're not, they don't invoke God. Uh, even so, I mean, those are assumptions, those are beliefs. But we have an illiberal view of faith-based beliefs. All values are based upon some assumptions. That, and those assumptions, you know, can't be measured, whether they're faith-based or secular or atheist. So here's what we need to do. The church, this is what Keller's saying, the church needs to help champion a respect for everyone's views rather than the illiberal bias that's currently working against faith, a level playing field. 
So let's finish up this first round. When the mainline churches yielded orthodox theology, they also lost their basis, their authority, the foundation that gave them a unique influence in public life. They lost the transcendence, the design behind human life, that orders human life. They lost their appeal to an authority outside the human institution. In an effort to be relevant in culture, they took a back seat to politics. Religious liberty secured in America's founding documents, lost a key advocate, the mainline church. Then, mainline church had given up its unique voice, tying human community to a proven authority with a track record in history for reformation for the common good, namely, a high view of Scripture. So, in the next article, we'll see where the evangelical movement tried to step in to this void to provide more substantive faith at the core of America's conscience. We'll see the clarifying successes and we'll see the stunting excesses as we consider how to be the church in a pluralist society. I'm Tim Philston. Thanks for listening.